Hello and welcome back to the European show. This is episode five and because of the weird way that we did things last time, we're now going to look at <laughs> other Champions League games as well as uh, the other football that happened last weekend. And to join me, as always, is Nick. So welcome back, Nick. How are you? I'm very great, Jack, after uh, the weekend and its games. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing okay. So the first place we'll start, as I mentioned, is the Champions League. And this, I think it's safe to say that the Wednesday games were a lot more exciting and there were a lot more bigger matchups in these games than the Tuesday games. And so the biggest tie of them all, Bayern Munich versus Manchester United, which finished 4-3. But I think this scoreline is very flattering towards Manchester United because they were terrible for most of the game. <laughs> They, they, they essentially had three attacking opportunities and they scored in the three of them. And if Ulrich, I think Ulrich could have maybe saved one of the goals if he was, you know, a bit better. But um, what, what I'm saying is Bayern Munich need a better goalkeeper, basically. But uh, but yeah, I mean, Bayern weren't at their best and they still cooked Man United. And Musiala was fantastic as well. Musiala was really, like, tearing up the Man United midfield. But I guess Onana... Made made a horrible mistake. Actually, I mean it was a pretty bad mistake in 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 the first in the first half, which to concede a goal. But after that, he kept out quite a few pretty dangerous Bayern Munich chances, and saved the game from being a conceding six basically. And also some suboptimal finishing from from Bayern strikers also made the scoreline tighter than it should have been. But uh, but yeah, I mean like you said, it, it was a Bayern game, and they kind of ran rampant over uh, over United who just took their very few chances well, but really just got pissed on, essentially. I think this is kind of like... I don't really think this shows you, like, oh, Bayern are a really good team, because we've seen them and, and they're not. I think this just really shows you the kind of state Manchester United are in at this moment than what Bayern Munich are in, because the only games Bayern Munich have actually won have been against inferior opponents in the Bundesliga but obviously this also backs up my idea that Thomas Tusch is a tournament manager and that's why I, I, I'm of the belief that Bayern Munich can do well in the Champions League while still not doing well in the league because the way Thomas Tuchel plays football is a lot more suited to Champions League as we've seen because he was able to win the Champions League with a terrible Chelsea side as well as take PSG to the Champions League final Whereas in the league, we've obviously seen his performances have not been the best. Um, albeit he, when at Chelsea, he did kind of have to deal with Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp. So I, this is obviously a good early mark. Bayern Munich now continue their very strong run in the in the Champions League group stages, where I think they haven't lost in something ridiculous, like 40 matches. And the other game in that group, we saw Galatasaray come from behind to draw 2-2 with Copenhagen. It's... Yeah, there's not really a lot to say about this game. Galatasaray came from behind. They were losing until the 86th minute, um, but they turned it around. This is obviously why, from this result, you could suggest that Copenhagen are actually not a team to be messed with either. Obviously, when we looked at the groups originally, Galatasaray were the team to like look out for. He could potentially cause an upset. If they're coming from behind at home, having to draw with Copenhagen, Copenhagen may not be as bad as we first thought. Then, the other big game in this group, it wasn't really big in terms of like two teams going against each other, it was big really because of the occasion. 
Real Madrid played Union Berlin. Union Berlin, this is their first ever game in the Champions League. And I, I would say, apart from obviously the result, the fact that they were able to keep Real Madrid quiet for most, for basically the whole game, and were able to like stand their ground. Um, yes, they didn't really do a lot going forward, but what do you expect when they're at the Bernabeu? But I think in their first f- first ever Champions League game, I think they did themselves proud despite the result. Yeah, agreed. Um, I mean, Union Berlin essentially played the most Union Berlin game ever. They just kind of sat back, uh, hunkered down at their opponent's attack. And obviously, it's a very well-suited tactic to hold back Real Madrid, who like to who like to have the ball and um, an attack but aren't uh, that good at breaking down low blocks and have struggled that uh, with that this season. Um, Union Berlin did, interestingly enough, try and be more expansive and uh, aggressive at certain periods during the game, especially in the first minutes of each half. And so we, we would see them sometimes actually pushing back around Madrid, which is very unusual, but um, but interesting to see. And it was it was a daring tactic. It didn't work out because they didn't manage to score in, in these moments. But they really just lost out due to some bad luck, tiredness at the end of the game, Jude Bellingham being in the right place at the right time. And um, but honestly, I I think they they won a lot of respect from everybody. Yeah, they they conceded in the ninety fourth minute for Jude Bellingham to score the winner. The goal was it was like a a terrible goal. The ball was bouncing around, and as as Nick said, it fell to Jude Bellingham, and he was in the right place at the right time to score the winner. So I think this would definitely give Union Berlin confidence heading into the games against Braga and a wounded Napoli side, um, and. Maybe they could feel now that they can actually qualify out of the group and into the round of 16. The other game in that group saw Napoli beat Braga 2-1. Napoli needed a late own goal from Braga to actually win the game. We'll go on to Napoli a bit deeper later on. But they are clearly not the same team that they were last season, despite having the majority of the same players. And it's clearly um, taking its toll on the way they play. Then Arsenal returned to the Champions League after a very long time and they comfortably beat PSV Eindhoven 4-0. Arsenal are by far the strongest team in this group and they are the likely team to qualify out of it. Sevilla played Lons and they were drew 1-1. It seemed a bit too suspicious that they were winning their first game. I, I was sure they were going to self-sabotage at some point to guarantee that third spot. So it does now mean Sevilla are currently sit third in their group. Um... Whether they can obviously hold that for five more games is obviously unknown. Then finally, we have the other group which saw Inter have to come from behind and score a late equaliser against Vialsos to make it 1-1, which means they do not go top because Salzburg came for or beat Benfica. Obviously, we did say Salzburg have the opportunity or have the potential to be a bit of a a dark horse in this group and they cause problems and they they did that here and obviously it's not an easy task to come from behind or to beat Benfica at their own game especially Portugal and so the Champions League is off for a break this week but then it returns next week and again there's not really the big marquee games are Napoli versus Real Madrid obviously this is a big one for the group because these are the two main contenders in this group but as we said, whether they actually, whether Napoli are actually as good as you make out to be on paper is obviously yet to be seen. Dortmund play Milan. Obviously, Dortmund have been so unimpressive in every one of their games. 
um, while Milan will be hoping that they can overcome the or revenge the fact that they were unable to take the chances against Newcastle. Um, Newcastle played their opening Champions League game against PSG. So what a what a proxy war it is between Saudi Arabia and Qatar. And then we also have RB Leipzig versus Manchester City in Leipzig. Leipzig have obviously looked a very strong team in these opening weeks of the season and obviously these two will qualify out of this group we know that um, but it will be a really good test to see whether Leipzig have improved on the fact that they uh, compared to when they got thumped 7-0 in the in the knockout rounds last season so now which may be a first we will look at the Eredivisie indeed the reason why we're looking at the Eredivisie first is because of um, the events between the two biggest rivals in the Netherlands uh, Ajax and Feyenoord. Every time this game comes up, I talk about it uh, very excitedly because it's it's very entertaining. Both the football itself and the rivalry between the fans because they really do hate each other. And these are like fierce, fierce rivals, the two teams. And so they played. <laughs> so they played on Sunday, I believe. They played in Amsterdam, and basically Feyenoord has begun the season very well. Um, they won last season. They they're the reigning champions of the Eredivisie. Yeah, they've won almost all of their games except for two draws, uh, and they're winning by big margins as well. They beat Hereinvin six one. They beat Utrecht five one. They beat Almeida six one. Like these these guys know how to score goals. Um, Ajax, on the other hand, suck ass. They have been so bad this start of the season, and so it always looked like a mismatch coming into the game. Uh, and once the ball got rolling, things just got worse and worse. Uh, right off the bat. Feyenoord scores and you could you could see it was going to be a long day for Ajax fans. 20 minutes in Ajax was two goals down and the fans began seeing what was coming and they just got really angry. They began throwing things on the pitch. The game was temporarily suspended for I believe a cup of beer that was thrown on. Um, and so the players went uh, down to the locker rooms, were there for about 10 minutes. The ref said if it happens again they're going to call off the game. I'm like yeah alright no, whatever. Uh, they go on immediately th- like flares are being thrown on the pitch. And uh, they just keep playing. Uh, final to go 3-0 up. The, the, the atmosphere is getting very tense in the stadium. Uh, halftime comes along just in time to save the game. Except it doesn't. Because as soon as they start playing again, uh, the, the Ajax fans are even more angry. And they're just not having it. I mean, truly, their, their, their team was playing horribly. Like, Ajax was, was just getting completely ran over. And you could tell the game wasn't going to end at 3-0. Like, it was going to get much worse. Um, and so they continue kind of like demonstrating the anger to, to the team. Um, and then I believe more flares were thrown on the pitch, but also due to the commotion in the stands um, and just like the general chaos, the game was finally called off. And so the unofficial score was 3-0 Feyenoord, except they had to stop playing the 55th minute. So it was just insanity. So right now, Ajax um, is in a horrible spot because... They are without count because this game doesn't count, right? And presumably Ajax will be given at best zero points from the whole thing. But right now they're currently two points from the relegation zone at 14th. Uh, Final on the other hand are obviously doing quite well, but um, but presumably they'll be handed three points from this game because I mean they, they essentially won it and uncontested. There wasn't going to be any way it's going to be turned around. Um, but the thing is, right? So there was like minor riots from Ajax fans and all that. They they kind of went a bit apeshit in the stadium after the game. So obviously they were protesting, first of all, against a bad game. Fair enough. 
but also because of, of the management of the club. It's been run very badly for the last few years. Uh, and in particular, the, the director of football, Miss Lintat, is, uh, received a lot of anger from, uh, from the Ajax fans because uh, of just bad management, bad decisions, um, the big ego, all of this. Uh, there were allegations that he that th- there's shady deals with uh, the Borna Sosa transfer where he allegedly made money off of it. It's also worth noting that for the Borna Sosa transfer, Ms. Lintat, before he took over as Ajax, was sporting director of Stuttgart. And obviously, Borna Sosa came from Stuttgart as well. Right, exactly. And so um, they also criticised Ms. Lintat's scouting and, and all of this. Uh, and he basically filled in, filled the team in with with uh, players that weren't really suited for the team, and all of this. And so Mislintat has been actually fired because of because of the protests uh, and the unhappiness from the um, from the fans. There are others in the IX management that are kind of targeted by um, but by the fans who they think they shouldn't be at the club anymore. It's a dumpster fire, really. Like everything is going up in flames, and it's it's going to be a tough few months for uh, for IX fans. The manager is also pretty terrible. Uh, it's also a very big problem. After the the merry-go-round of managers last season, um, they decided who best to appoint, uh, but the manager of Sparta Rotterdam, a team which is notoriously always fighting relegation, and they're like, yeah, 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 this guy's a good attacking manager. I mean, I mean, yeah, he he tries to attack, he just doesn't do it very well. I mean, he doesn't know how to defend. Is shown by like every single game that Ajax has played in in this season. Uh, so they have a bad manager. They have a a incohesive dressing room the fans are furious everything is going up in flames but so now we will have our break and then we'll be back with la liga welcome back from our break we will now look at la liga where we obviously had the madrid derby you had Real Madrid coming off, or they were, I think, something like six games unbeaten in La Liga, or maybe five games unbeaten in La Liga, six games unbeaten in general. But they got served their first loss of the season against Atletico Madrid. Real Madrid hadn't been super impressive in their initial matches. Um, they just kind of would play and, inshallah, Jude Bellingham appears and scores a, a clutch goal, which he did every single time because he's kind of crazy like that. But um, but in this game, they were just pitted too far behind. It it, it was basically just from from the off, Atleti went out to dominate in the initial minutes at least, and and they did especially because the Real Madrid essentially just lined up six midfielders thinking they could do the the Spain Euro twenty fourteen final trick, uh, except they kind of forgot to put wide players and the fullbacks are awful. Um, well, I mean, on left back they have Fran Garcia. Who is sometimes good? He played well against uh, Real Sociedad, but he's not consistent yet. And at, at right back, they had Lucas Vasquez, who got cooked. Um, and so essentially, Aleti took full advantage of that. They were doing lots of rotations, a lot of dominations on the wing. The the first goal in the third minute literally comes from Samuelino just like crossing up and dunking on uh, on Lucas Vasquez, and then whipping in the cross. And Alaba had a horrible game. Alaba had to mark Murata, and he just. Every time he just took a back seat, I would just turn around and see him jumping over him. Or not even, because because Alaba was never close to him. So Morata just gets this free header and just bags it in. A few minutes later, almost the same play. Uh, Samuelino just has the ball, um, kind of swerves swerves Lucas Vasquez, kind of passes it through to um, to Saul who's overlapping, 
and then just dinks it in. And then Antoine Griezmann, like one of the shortest players on the pitch, he just heads the ball in between four Real Madrid defenders, all of them who like turn around and like stare at him. And it's insane. He had that much space in the middle of the Real Madrid box. And then, uh, and then Eddie were like, yeah, we're good. Actually, we'll, uh, we'll let, we, we don't need the ball for this part. And so they spent 20 minutes in classical Atletico fashion, um, just kind of leaning back, defending a bit. Um, they would have got away with it too if it wasn't for a, for a very nasty uh, cross outside the box shot. Honestly, Cross is probably the only, like, actually not terrible player for um, for Real Madrid this game, because the whole formation, the whole tactical idea, just wasn't there for for Ancelotti. They had too many midfielders on. Um, Cross and Modric were um, didn't quite have the legs to be running around as much as they as they should have. Modric in particular wasn't amazing. Uh, it also didn't help that Rodrigo is in pretty bad form, and so he's not the best reference of attack right now. Um, so went into the changing rooms at 2-1. Uh, they come back and Real Madrid is picking up momentum, right? Because they've just scored and they're a goal away from uh, from equalizing. They also had a disallowed goal right before halftime. Uh, but it was disallowed because Rudiger was offside and he kind of definitely brought down Mario um, Edmoso in the box. And then the ball kind of rebounds and cuts right across Edmoso, who's just been knocked down. So uh, that was disallowed. Yeah, but then right after halftime, when Real Madrid looking like they're going to come in and get that equalizer, um, pretty much the exact same goal, uh, which was a 2-1, was scored. It's literally the same. Samuelino breaks down the wing, uh, leaves Lucas Vazquez wondering about his future career choices, um, and then it gets passed on to Saul, who's also once again overlapping, and he just digs it over Moreta once again, has like the easiest, freest header of his life from like the edge of the six-yard box. Neither Alaba nor Kepa were like, you know what? I should probably get this ball that's floating just inches from me. Um, so he just heads it in, freest header he'll get in his life. Um, and so it's 3-1, and that pretty much knocked the era of, of Real Madrid. Um, Atleti kind of spent most of the rest of the game defending, really, because they didn't have to do much more. Um, but yeah, on, honestly, that, that was basically the game. Um, Jude Bellingham was invisible, uh, mostly through a tactical error. By uh, by Ancelotti, where he was like, you know what, you've been scoring goals today. You will play striker, and so the ball just never got to Bellingham, and uh, when it did, Atleti made sure to kick the hell out of him, and so um, he was completely uninvolved in the match. Basically, I, I I didn't notice he was playing until he just like mistimed one of the worst tackles I've seen in my life in like the 90th minute on Correa, which could have been a red. Um, but to be fair, the ref was not paying much attention this game. There was also a uh, a debatable tackle right before halftime where Rodrigo is running down the wing and then Jimenez just kind of decides you know what I'm not fast enough to catch this guy and slides him but but to be fair he didn't actually touch Rodrigo except he did slide him and he wasn't particularly close to the ball but uh, but it's given his yellow um, but to be fair if that because Jude, Jude Bellingham definitely impacted Correa <laughs> like and it, it's legitimately you need to see this tackle it's it's not really much of a tackle as much of a UFC breakdown, it's outrageous. But um, but yeah, honestly, Ancelotti just didn't line up well. The players weren't there. Tremeni, who's been playing great games, uh, was on the bench to begin with, which doesn't really make sense. I mean, Ancelotti said it was to rest him, but you don't rest your players for one of your biggest games. Why would you do that? But yeah, I mean, Simone just kind of decided to dunk on Ancelotti, and it breaks uh, Real Madrid's unbeaten streak. But yeah, honestly, Atletico is such a weird team. Last week they lost four 0 against Valencia. 
and then they got equalized by a goalkeeper in the Champions League and then they're like you know what T- today's the day we break Real Madrid's um streak incredibly enough this wasn't the only remarkable resu- result from the weekend we saw Barcelona play essentially the peak 22-23 Barcelona game in which they were kind of awful but ended up picking up points except uh in this case they weren't that bad what I mean by that is they were awful until the last 10 minutes so they were playing Celta Vigo in Barcelona um and they just kind of decided like you know what how about we forget how to play football and they just kind of lost all of the energy and all of the creativity that had in the previous matches and just kind of circled the ball around put off some limp shots couldn't really create a lot of danger couldn't find free men and Celta Vigo just hit them on the counter multiple times multiple they could have scored much more than two goals Ter Stegen really like pulled the cat out of the cat out of the bag I think that's the right expression and saved one maybe two very clear chances um there's also a couple of of times when maybe a Celta Vigo player didn't finish as well as they could have but the the first 60 minutes Celta Vigo had a lot of shots they had a lot of dangerous chances and Barcelona scraped through with only being 2-0 down but they, they were not playing well and Xavi it to in like to his merit like kind of ended up finding a good tactical configuration essentially they didn't start very well and then the second half uh Xavi was like a button mashing uh like every tactic and like formation and like players he could think of and so he was like subbing on players like crazy changing the shape changing the midfield changing everything um especially because Frankie de Jong had been subbed off due to injury and he had been the best player in the first half by far um and essentially in the last 10 minutes Xavi kind of hits the nail on the head he brings uh Rafinha on uh, for uh, for Ferran Torres who had been insane since his girlfriend broke up with him and then today kind of I guess the, um, the the depression mode set in and he wasn't really particularly good anymore uh, and Rafinha has not been very good for Barcelona usually kind of created a lot more danger than before and he kind of was the one who was able to split the space and find space between uh, the Celta Vigo defense he didn't personally score but uh, but he was very influential in dragging defenders in in kind of picking apart Celta Vigo and and I guess fitness and tiredness and concentration also didn't help Celta and so um, João Felix assisted uh, with, with a nice dink to to Lewandowski to open the scoring followed by um, by by a clean assist by Cancelo who just kind of drills it in finds Lewandowski again and then lastly Gavi who had also come on had been playing a decent game uh, just kind of cross court finds Cancelo picks him out and then he just drives it in to um to make it 3-2 in the most dramatic fashion in the 89th minute and so with that Barcelona managed to scrape three points from a very tight game I guess depending on which part of the match you look at you're like did they deserve to win that or not but uh yeah they they claim top of the table after Real Madrid's um after Real Madrid's loss and most importantly they stopped Girona from being first uh, Girona are equal on points with Barcelona, but uh, but they're behind on goal difference. But the crazy thing is, right, Girona are second in the table. So that's probably something uh, we want to cover. Essentially, okay, in fairness, they haven't had the most difficult start to the season, right? They've played mostly lower table teams. Their difficult game came against the Rival in the opening game, where they drew 1-1, which is also, in fairness, a pretty good result, particularly considering that they were playing in San Sebastián and not in Girona. Um, but since then they've they've they're building a lot of momentum. They smacked Getafe three 0 Like when do you see Getafe concede more than a goal? 
like straight up uh, beating Sevilla everyone can do that uh, and then Las Palmas also lost against Girona and then they beat Granada the weekend the weekend before uh, and now uh, this weekend they also just decided to score lots of goals and they, they beat Mallorca 5-3 uh, honestly I think that's what describes them most they're um, as opposed to to their, their identity last season and most previous seasons where they were kind of your typical Spanish low block and counter-attack uh, team. They kind of um, have gone out to be more expansive, more uh, more aggressive, and m- more importantly, they've become more clinical with their uh, with their attacking. And so, I mean, they kind of ran away with the game after a certain point. They did concede a penalty, which they conceded uh, a goal from in the fourth or fifth minute. But after that, they just kind of went in and started smacking one, two, three, four, five goals in a row against Mallorca, um, who did recover a little bit of dignity with two goals in the dying minutes. But uh, but obviously, being four goals down, it was way too late to actually change anything. Uh, so now Girona will have to, uh, I guess, see where their future lies. Can they, can, can they win the league? I doubt it, because I haven't actually played anyone serious. But uh, it's looking very promising. And uh, if they can keep this up, I think they will... Um, they will definitely be looking at the European spots. Their next few games are against Villarreal uh, away, which is fairly tough. And then uh, Real Madrid, obviously depending on the state of morale of Real Madrid, uh, especially because they're playing in Catalonia, this may be a very difficult or easier than expected game. But I, I guess the two upcoming ones are are the tests to see what Girona are really made of. Honestly, I think if they scrape two draws from these games, like that's good. Like, like, like that, that says a lot about the team. But, uh, but yeah, Girona were good. Then uh, Sevilla played uh, one of our favourite teams to look at because you never know what's coming from them. Usually losses, to be fair. In this in this case, they drew 0-0 uh, against Osasuna. Osasuna is an alright team. They had a great season last season, but they haven't got off to the best start this time. Um, but honestly, Sevilla really should be... I guess getting more from this, especially the, from the dire situation they're in, they can't be dropping points this way. Um, it was a nil-nil draw, as per usual. The severe attack is toothless. They legitimately cannot create danger for the life of them, uh, much less finish a, a chance. Um, and so now Sevilla are uh, back to being in danger. They're se- um, they're seventeenth in the table. To be fair, with the game in hand, but they're uh, level on points with Celta Vigo, who are in the relegation zone. Um, to make matters worse, there's a game coming up against uh, Barcelona in two weeks. And then next they have uh, Rayo Vallecano and Real Madrid coming up. So if they don't get things sorted, they really will be will be in trouble. And then uh, more interesting games, Valencia, who are trying to recover from their horrible last season last season, are still kind of finding their feet again. They did smack Atleti uh, in the previous week before before this one. but uh, And so everyone thought like they'd just go off and, and fly. But then they drew 2-2 against Almeria, who is literally the worst team in the league right now, and maybe ever. So that's quite... Uh, it shows the inconsistency issues in in Valencia. They never looked super dominant, once again, against a team that isn't very good. In fact, I, you could even say they got lucky considering uh, Almeria had more possession, more shots, more shots on target. And it's it's not the way you want to be facing up against the twentieth team when you're trying to re- get more confidence and and recover from a from a season that you really would rather not repeat. A few a handful more interesting results. Sorry, Rebetis drew against Cadiz. They're also struggling. 
to have a strong start to the season after a, a good campaign last last year. Uh, and the Real Sociedad beat Getafe 4-3. Sociedad are good. They're very promising. And more importantly, Takekubo is a really, really good football player. Blaise Mendes is also having the season to have. I think he's. I think these two are really going to be the key to a, a high-flying Sociedad. So yeah, those were uh, the important results from, from the league of the season. So now we will look at Syria, where... Get this off early. Um, Inter remain unbeaten as they beat Empoli, who are bottom of the table 1 0. Milan remain second as they beat Hellas Verona 1 0. Lecce are the surprise team in third, who are also currently unbeaten. While Juventus lost their first game of the season 4 2 against the Swallow. And it's not looking good in Rome, with Roma sitting in 13th after a 1 1 draw with Torino, where Lukaku scored again and Lazio also drew 1-1 with Monza and they find themselves two places below in 15th to, 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 to be fair I, I, I think Roma are doing worse than I, 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 I think we skimmed over a little bit too rapidly over how awful Roma have been this season it's the, literally the only shining lights at Roma so far have been Luk- Lukaku and uh, Dybala because uh, like everyone else just is not is not up to it just the midfield doesn't create anything. Um, the defense is very on and off. The tactics are stale. I, I, we've been talking quite a lot, questioning if this is it for uh, for Mourinho, and I, I really think we're just looking at a manager who just can't inspire either tactically or like emotionally. And so it's it, we're looking for a long season ahead for for Roma. Now we'll look at Napoli, who currently find themselves seventh and seven points behind leaders Inter. Um, they are still mainly the same team that they that they were last season, apart from Kim Min Jae. It's is this really just a case that it's just a manager's issue, and the fact that they lost Spalletti and replaced him is is the issue for their decline. I think that is a huge reason because Spalletti was so good tactically. He was extremely flexible um, and really knew how to face up against each opponent every week and essentially just change the team in a way that you couldn't really counter it in most occasions because it, it would just change all the time. Um, and that was kind of their whole thing, right? Being like the Swiss army team, depending on who they're playing, they change their tactics. They're either more defensive, more offensive, more possession-oriented, more counter-attack-oriented, attack on the middle, attack on the wings. Uh Basically, anything they needed, Spalletti could could make the team do because he just had a variety of tools uh, and tactics he could employ. And now, I mean, he obviously left, and they replaced him with Rudy Garcia. <laughs> well, what are you talking about? I I, I don't understand. They, so they had this fantastic manager, and then he leaves for personal reasons. And so you have the team that's just won the league. Uh, has a lot of money from the Kim and Jay Kim and Jay sale as well as Champions League tournament prize money, and winning the league prize money, and the best thing you can do is bring in one of the most bang average, mediocre managers of the twenty first century. Like I, it doesn't it boggles my mind. Like why would how would you do this? Surely surely there's someone else better who's available. This guy is like the definition of mid, and uh, we're seeing it in the team. Losing Kim and Jay was obviously a big problem. Because uh, we've seen defensive issues um, in uh, in Napoli, right? But we've also seen that they just don't create as much danger as before, and they're just less less scary in attack, uh, which is mostly what we saw on the weekend. 
because um, they didn't really concede, but uh, up front they they just didn't get good chances. They they were kind of relying on mostly like shooting from the outside of the box and everything because they they, they just don't know how to be dangerous because they don't have a good manager. <laughs> it just it just doesn't make sense. The the lineup is very similar to what it was before, especially Osman and and Kreuzhelia. Kind of the two stars from last season are, are still there, and the midfield, which is obviously the main creative unit, uh, is still Zielinski, Lebotka, and Zambo and Gisa. But they they just they look like mid players again because they were mid players, and then kind of Spalletti made them unbelievably good and looked like genuinely fantastic. And now there's no one to make them look good again because they don't have a good structure, a good system, a good inspiration to kind of bring out the best in them. So it's I I think really it's that problem. Like, you can say, like, oh, yeah, maybe Natan isn't as good as Kim and Jay. Like, oh, yeah, 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 okay, well, well that, that, that's fine. I don't, I don't really care because one player usually will make you collapse like this. But this is this is different. This is the fact that you have a mediocre manager who's making you look like a mediocre team. Covered Shelia has not been the same that he was last season. So it's really a question was, obviously, I'm not going to label him a one-season wonder because this is barely, he's been in Europe for over a year. But do you know, is he just a system player? Or is he just having a bad run of form? Or is he not as good as we make out to be? Because obviously we saw against Milan, when it mattered the most, he just kind of disappeared. I, I think it's a mixture of him being in a bad run of form and also him having been figured out by defenders. Because in, um, in that Milan game, what we, what we saw was Calabria knew Kvartzhelia's moves very well. And there's also the fact that Kvartzhelia couldn't quite like conjure up the best and the sauciest kind of dribbles to to break past kind of his rut um but 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 Calabria knew that um Kvartzheli likes to faint that he's gonna cut inside and then go out for example like that's a very common Kvartzheli move and every time he tried it Calabria was on him um and so that that sort of thing it's it's defenders kind of knowing how he moves his tricks um so I think Seri has kind of adapted to to what he is and also, it's the fact that um, right now he's not really capable of bringing out anything super special since he's just not at his best. Uh, I think that, and it's also that in combination with the fact that there's no manager to give him the best situations to bring the best out of himself and maybe motivate him a bit more. So it's three bad things coming together and making him struggle more than he should be struggling. Um, I think if he had like moved away from Napoli in the summer we would see him being good again because, you know, he would be in a different league with a different manager and, and he'd be recovering his confidence. But uh, obviously, I, I, I respect him very much for not cashing out immediately and taking the, the big money move. But uh, I, I think it's very much a thing that, that Kvartz Khali is going to have to sort, sort out on his own how to evolve so that, uh, so that he can break past the, the current conception defenders have of him and, and he can begin being important for Napoli again. So now we will have our goal and the break and then we'll be back with the Bundesliga. Blanks, some quatre. 
Welcome back from our anthem break. You just heard the Girona anthem. So Nick, what do you rate it out of 10? I think it's pretty hype. It doesn't change much and it's not super interesting, but it is definitely uh, quite good. So uh, I'll give it a nice um, 7 out of 10. I'll give it a 5. It's kind of average. Actually, no, I'll give it a 6. Yeah, I, I do agree. It's not that special, but it is kind of hype. So 6. So now we'll look at the Bundesliga. Um, this was really a, a normal weekend. Um, all the teams that were meant to win won. So Bayern uh, gave their annual thrashing of Bochum and beat them 7-0, which is the exact same result they beat them last season when they played them at the Allianz. Wol- uh, Dortmund beat Wolfsburg 1-0. It was really a another rather uninspiring performance from Dortmund, as usual. But obviously they do remain unbeaten currently, and currently sick, sixth in the league. Um, Leipzig beat Borussia Mönchengladbach 1-0. This game was also really fucking boring. And Leipzig um, won with Timo Werner scoring his first goal of the season. And then Leverkusen again won 4-1. So they remain neck and neck with Bayern Munich. And we and Victor Boniface is one of the standout strikers from this season. Um, but he is not the standout striker. You would think, oh, the 100 million spent on Harry Kane. He is the main man in the Bundesliga. He is not. Stuttgart Seyru Gerasi is currently top goal scorer with 10 goals, which is three more than Harry Kane, as he scored twice again against Darmstadt to, make, to take his tally to 10. Uh, Victor Boniface is currently on six as well. And what's interesting about this is it kind of shows you the state the Bundesliga was in last season when it came to goal scorers. As the top goal scorers last season was Christopher Nkunku and Nicholas Fulkrug on 16 goals. And Garassi is already six away and we're not even in October. Um, And so really, Robert Lewandowski has to watch out because Garassi is currently on track. Um... To match his record, obviously this is just going on what he's achieved so far. The likelihood is he's not going to keep this up. Um, but him and Stuttgart are absolutely one of the surprise teams of the season so far. Stuttgart are currently third. And it's obviously surprising by the fact that they were in the relegation playoff last, last season against Hamburg. And now they are third. So it just kind of shows you the work that Sebastian Hernes has done. Um... Mainz uh, are the proof that karma exists. After what they did, after the fuckery that they did on the last day of the season, um, beat a drawing with Dortmund, they now sit dead last with no win yet. Um, and so this is what they get. Um, and so this upcoming weekend is quite a big one uh, for Bayern Munich as they play RB Leipzig. Obviously, we've seen them play Leipzig before and Leipzig actually lately tore them apart in Munich. This time this game is in Leipzig and it will be interesting to see whether this Bayern loss was a bit of a fluke. Because if it's not and Leipzig again run away with it, it just kind of shows you that maybe Bayern Munich are not as good as people think and that they are just really stat padding against teams that are a lot worse than them. So yeah, that's really it for the Bundesliga. Not really a lot has happened. And so we'll end it with Liga where PSG played Marseille 
and comfortably beat beat them 4-0 um, obviously this is a Marseille team that's in a bit of turmoil because they're currently without a permanent manager after Marcelino left um, Kylian Mbappe went off with this game injured with an ankle injury but it Seemingly, they didn't need him, as Colin Moani scored twice and got an assist. And Gonzalo Ramos, despite the constant shit we give him, scored twice. PSG currently are still not first, as Brest and Nice are currently ahead of them on 13 and 12 points. But I imagine that will most likely change sometime soon. Nice go second as they beat Monaco, who were originally first 1-0 in a bit of a derby. It is a derby in the south of France. Monaco missed two penalties, given the lead. And Brest beat, obviously, a struggling Lyon side um, 1-0 to go first. Lyon are currently 17. And so it's not looking good for them at the moment. This is only the, the opening six games. If it becomes a recurring theme, then they may end up joining Saint-Étienne and Bordeaux in the second division. So... That is it for today. Thank you for listening. Please like us, follow us, subscribe, whatever, and we will be back next week. Yep, thank you very much, and we will see you later. Mm -hmm.